everybody, this is Keith Rainwater on the Designated Drummer Podcast, and I have a very special guest with me today. It is uh, somebody that I know really well, and you may know really well, Dean Sams of Lone Star. No way! Is. Yes, there he Man, is. Hi, it's nice to meet you. Hey. No, uh, um, so, uh, yeah, we're sitting back here in the back of the bus, on the Lone Star bus, and... Um, we're out on tour. We're out on tour. We're in Marietta, Ohio right Marietta, now. Ohio. And I thought I would take a minute and talk to my good friend Dean Sams here, the founding member of Lone Star, the one who started it all. Yes, well, thank you. Yeah, I, and um, yeah, it's weird to think that uh, 30 years into this, Keish, yeah. I mean, 30 years that, um, you know, been, you know, doing this awesome, awesome thing called Lone Star. Yeah, I mean, it's... Um, it has been such a cool ride, and I came into the band when you guys already had, were, went through about two or three drummers. You were our uh, fourth drummer, actually. Yeah, fourth drummer. Fourth drummer. Um, when, when I first put Lone Star, but we weren't Lone Star then, we were Texas E, T-E-X-A-S-S-E-E. Texas E? Texas E, no, oh. yeah, that's why we changed the name. <laughs> we're going to get into the name thing here yes, in a little while. <laughs> but, uh, so we were Texas E, and then, uh, yeah, two, two and a half years of traveling around in my two-door Jeep Cherokee, pulling a U-Haul. Uh, playing all over the United States and Canada. Finally, uh, two and a half years later, we got a record deal. And uh, but uh, you came in literally. It was like six months before we got a record deal. And you were like, you were the the missing piece to the puzzle. Thank you. I mean, I yeah, that. you were you were the guy. What were the other drummer, other drummers like? And why uh, did they not work out? Uh, well, our first drummer was uh, someone you know very well and a great friend of mine. His name's Mike Tucker. Yep. And uh, he who took my place in Canyon when I left Canyon. That's right. Way. That's right. <laughs> so and we played musical drums. Musical drum switching. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, but he he was our first drummer. I you know I'd I'd moved to Nashville to um, to be a you know an artist a lead You're singer. Be a singer. You know? yeah, yeah, that's right. why I moved. And uh, I'd been in you know but what, before I moved to Nashville I'd tried out for like there was a television show kind of like American Idol's big now and The Voice is big now. I was on a show uh, called You Can Be a Star. I remember that. Yeah. But I lovingly call the show You Can't Be a Star right. because um, I, I did get on the show, but I lost. You know and what Steve Cooper used to call that show? What? You Can Be Ignored. You Can Be Ignored. <laughs> that's yeah. what he called it. Well, that's what they did with me. I was uh, I, I was on the show, and they had guest judges. Um, like uh, I remember um, uh, Jeff Hanna of the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band was one okay. of the judges. Yeah. Um, Gene Watson, great country singer, was one of the judges. And then a uh, radio program director uh, for KVOO radio station in Oklahoma City, one of the biggest country stations at the time. Uh, uh, I think his name is Billy Sherrill was his name. And um, anyway, they they were the judges. And there would be three singers per show. And I was on there, and I sang a a Ronnie Millsap song, um, Happy, Happy Birthday, Baby. Oh, okay, right. And, uh, and I did that big note thing at the end and sang it. And uh, so the judges would each comment. And Jeff Hanner was like, man, what a great voice. Love your range. You perform so well on stage. I give you a 450. Each judge could give you a 500. Uh, Gene Watson, kind of same thing. Great vocals. Love the song choice. Great performance. I give you a 450. And then Billy, the, the program director, same thing. You know, great voice, love your high, high note at the end, give you a 450. So they each gave me a 450. Well, there's this girl on the show with me that um, that performed, and uh, she couldn't sing her way out of a paperback. Really? I mean, she was not good. But she was really good looking, really tall, beautiful, beautiful. And here was their comments about her. 
Um, uh, really love the way you move around on that stage. Love your outfit choice. You look great. I give <laughs> you a four, I give you a four seventy five. And everybody was like, "Yeah, I love the yeah. way you move around on stage." Four seventy five. I love it. I thought this was a singing competition. That's right. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so I didn't win. But uh, but I finally, um, I, I fortunately I was. Uh, I'm not the greatest singer. I'm not the greatest musician. Whatever. But. I've always been a um, like a connector of people. I've always yeah. been like, uh, you know, always sort of know everybody, right? Yeah, and I joke about myself. I say that I'm, you know, half as talented as most people. I mean, I think I have talent, but but nobody can outwork me, and right. and I, I dare you to try. And That's right. so um, I just, but after about six months of living in Nashville, um, I I just wasn't happy with what I was doing. But I, I was smart enough to be able to see. I would go out and hear other people, other writers singers and stuff doing their thing and and i was smart enough to go i'm not good enough to make it as a lead singer and that was probably a one of the toughest toughest things to admit you know because yeah. admitting that you're not good enough for something you know right and uh, instead of just trying harder and say I'm yeah gonna take singing lessons or whatever yeah you just came I to just the realization knew. that you're i wasn't it wasn't gonna happen well what about back when let's go back let's set the old time clock back okay. to when you first started maybe when you first played the keyboard and i remember hearing oh, a story yeah. where the first song you played was stranger in my house by yeah. ronnie Millsap, and you could just sort of fell into it like you didn't even know you just could play it well here's the deal so um i thought my life mission was to play football I was right. you won't hear me say I'm a good piano player good anything I was a great football player and um, I thought that was going to be my career and in Texas 5a ball I started um, as a free safety on defense and I also started as tailback so uh, on offense and mo in Texas 5a ball there's so much talent you don't normally get to play offense and defense you oh. one or the other but I was starting tailback and starting free safety so I mean, I thought that was my path in life. That you were on your way. Gonna, that was what I was going to do. And um, I grew up poor, um, like so many other people. It doesn't make me unique or special. But, you know, my uh, single mom raising three of us by herself, you know, she had her, you know, struggles and, um, you know, that we lived with. And uh, she battled uh, alcoholism, my mama did. And and so, um, you know, we just did whatever we could do to, to make it. I had, you know, I was the kid at... at in uh, middle school that was washing dishes uh, for free breakfast and lunch at school. It was part of a program they called for underprivileged kids. Oh, right. But I didn't consider myself underprivileged. I just thought I was cool because I was getting to, you know, be back, you know, work and stuff, you know. <laughs> cool. And, um, but I, I, we, every time we couldn't afford our little, little apartment that we'd live in, um, you know, we would skip a month of rent or something. They were going to kick us out. We'd literally move in the middle of the night and go to some other crummy apartment and uh, every time we moved, I had to change schools. Oh, I see. And, um, and so I really got mad at my mom when, when I had to move because uh, a school I started in, in eighth grade I really liked. And I was getting friends, and, you know, it was just really starting to work positively for me. And then we had to move, and I was really mad at my mom, so I said, I'll show her. So I skipped 40 days of school. Really? So they ended up holding me back. So I lovingly say eighth grade was the best two years of my life. Um, so I was in eighth grade and eighth grade. Wow. Um, but the good news was I had the hots for my Spanish teacher, Mrs. Fletcher. Yeah. She was muy caliente. Oh, and um, <laughs> okay. and so uh, I got to take Spanish twice with her. 
All right. So you're pretty good at Spanish. Pretty. Uh, yeah, I know a What's few What's that thing you always do? What? Canto en lloras porque cantantos y arreglas y ulito lindo los corazones. Ay. Yeah. Man, you're making me hungry for Mexican yeah. food. <laughs> well, it's so it that turned into uh, because I failed eighth grade in Texas. You get five years of eligibility to play football because parents started holding their kids back to get them bigger stronger faster and all that stuff yeah. so they implemented this rule so people couldn't do that right oh i see so you yeah. have five years of eligibility so eighth eighth that's two ninth tenth eleventh so i uh, couldn't play anymore after my my actually i was doing spring ball spring ball of my junior year going into my senior year and i got called into the office and uh coach Yule said we got a problem i said what's the problem and he said uh you know, um, you can't play ball. And I was like, why? And he said, well, you failed eighth grade. I said, coach, you know, I make, you know, decent grades now and whatever. And he said, it doesn't matter. And he explained the rule to me. So I couldn't play. Um, my best friend uh, at the time, a guy named Scott Honeycutt, um, he was the blonde haired, blue eyed, good looking dude that all the girls loved. And I was his friend that the girls didn't love. And um, <laughs> you were the wingman. I, I was the wingman. <laughs> and uh, and he uh, he was like, man, you ought to, you got to have an elective anyway. You ought to get in choir. And I was like, Pfft. I'm not getting choir with all you sissies. That's a sissy thing. That's yeah, a sissy thing. And he was like, man, lots of girls. We go on trips. And I was like, girls, trips, I'm in. And uh, so I did it kind of as a joke. And um, that joke turned into my favorite artist and song, uh, Ronnie Millsap, one of my all-time faves. Him and Kenny, Kenny Rogers were like king to me. Yeah. And, um, and so he had a song called Stranger My House, and I loved that song. And, of course, we've played it so many times yeah, on the road right, together, yeah. right? But I remember it so vividly, sitting down at the piano in the choir room. And at this room. time, you hadn't really played piano I've never, before. No, I've never, never done – I never sang in my life, never played an instrument in my life, wow. nobody in my family's musical, nothing. Wow. And I could just sit down at the piano and I could play it. You could just play Stranger it was, in My House. I could play it. I don't know how. I don't know why. I, 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 I've just uh, – just finally just come to the uh understanding that it was a god thing he was like right this kid has had enough trouble in his life i gotta give him something positive gotta throw him a bone gotta, gotta throw this a kid son. a bone and and that was it and um i could play that and what not great like it wasn't flawless but i mean yeah. i could play it and uh then that led the fact to, that you could just pull that out of thin air yeah it was amazing not ever having even touched a piano before no. and all of a sudden there it is no it, it was crazy and then uh, that led to, you know, I did the choir thing, and then I had friends uh, in choir, like, because they thought it'd be funny, got me to, yeah. uh, they said, you should try out for All-State Choir. So I did it as a joke. Right. And so I don't read a lick of music, so my friend Scott would sing me this Italian piece over and over again until I memorized it. Okay, right. So I memorized this Italian piece, and so you have to go perform in front of judges. So I, I got first in area. Wow first in region which is the next if you get make it top four in the area you get to move on to region i got first in region wow. so i got to go on to state and i got second in the state of texas yeah and um so you got to go on trips i got to go on trips and but i was i became i got second in the state of texas but the only reason i got second because you had to sight read a piece of music uh -huh. like they put something in front of you and you have to do this do re mi stuff mm -hmm. and i was terrible and there's three judges and the ju there seems to be a three judge theme here i'm, re I'm noticing <laughs> yeah. there were three judges and each judge could give you 10 points and i think it was courtesy points because i got two twos and a three wow so anyway long story short um that uh, i made texas all-state choir uh and got a full ride scholarship to uh southwest texas state university which is now texas state 
did that for a year, hated it because yeah. they wanted me to sing opera and and I I could play piano already, but I had to take piano thing where they try to get you to read music. I couldn't do right. it. So I I left after a year, moved back to Dallas and started putting a series of terrible bands together. <laughs> Yeah. Now, I do remember, we're going to go back to the name thing. I remember you were telling me that you had a band, you put a band together called Spur in the Side. Well, that band. particular band, I didn't put that one together. Oh. I was asked to be part of that band. Oh, I see. A buddy yeah. of mine, Woody Leith, um, he, it was his band, oh, right. and I was just, he hired me to be the piano player. Yeah. But I ended up being kind of the band leader because I did all the bookings and right. and was really kind of the beginning of me being me. Because yeah. um, I, it was his band, but I was piano in it. But I started booking us. I started collecting the money, paying everybody. It right. kind of became. But the band was called Spur in, in the side. side. So when I would call to book us, um, it was it was a nightmare because I'd say, <laughs> "Hey, this is Dean Sands with Spur in the side," and they go, "Spermicide." No, <laughs> Spur in the side. Spermicide. Spermicide. So it was a terrible name. And uh, but you know, and then that went went from that to just putting. I was part of a band called renegade i was part oh, I of a that, yeah. uh, part of a band called the country gents right just a you know bunch of you know was that one you put together or was that all, another, all the other all ones the, i put together yeah, yeah right. the country gents um renegade and uh and it was you know it was great lesson because i did all the bookings and yeah um and and all of this work that i was doing then i didn't know at the time which is i, I think this is just a great thing about life because every time you get an opportunity to learn a new skill or something it, it will come in handy to you at some point in time. right yeah and so i was the bookings i learned how to book um when i had people that didn't want to do stuff because ah, oh, the whole tax thing whatever i was like great yeah. i'll do your taxes so i learned how to do taxes wow. and um it just all became very uh pivotal and um kind of i guess starting what is now lone star and us kind of getting where we are right. you know well so yeah you that was like training ground almost you know yeah. like you had to do it a whole bunch to get some experience and then all of a sudden now you're in nashville and you thought well they're not really tearing my door down to play keyboards for all these artists so i'll just put a band together and we'll just yeah. try to make a living and you also had a little studio too yeah i had a studio like so uh, i when i moved to uh nashville i was married and um and i was working four jobs um, at one time, putting my now ex-wife through college, mm-hmm. um, I worked at the Sheridan Music City from 4:30 in the morning um, to 11 o'clock, and then I would go straight uh, straight from there to Old Charlie's, and I was a waiter from noon uh, to 4:30, wow. and then I would go home for a couple hours. Then I had this gig at this little crummy little bar in Nashville called Silver Wings. I set up my keyboard, I had a little drum machine and a guitar, and I sang. Uh, until midnight. Now, what about the tour guide thing? When, was that part of that, or was that, that later? That came a little later. So I had those four jobs. Oh, and then I was working at Opryland on the weekends, and uh, and then in the midst of all of that, I was I was feeling like, you know, even though I have so much going on, I feel like I need to be. I want to be recording. I want to be. Yeah. And I'd heard somebody had told me that they were doing this mail order business where. Um, people would send them because I was already kind of writing songs and stuff but people would send them terrible songs that they had written and they were putting down all the instruments while I play a lot of different instruments so and they were making a killing at it so I was like I'm going to start a studio so I found this building on Music Row 
uh, a buddy of mine was renting the top half. I rented out the bottom half. I bought, I had, I didn't have a penny to my name, keep in mind. Right. And um, so, but I had, I got this credit card in the mail with a $5,000 credit limit on it, right. which is, might as well been a million dollars today, yeah. right? And uh, I bought a, uh, a, it's called a Tascam TSR8, which you now own yeah, for I, me. I you bought it, it from yeah. me, yeah. I do, yeah. So I bought that Tascam TSR8 half inch, eight, tra- eight tracks. Eight tracks. And then I bought a, uh, a little uh, Ramza console. It was 24-channel right. Ramza console. I bought a, a Roland HR16 drum machine. And and then I bought this little uh, syncing mechanism where I could run my drums and my keyboards. I would record all my keyboards, and I could run them off of one track. I would put right. a sync tone on track eight. Oh, wow. And then I would play acoustic guitar, electric guitar. I'd put a keyboard bass thing on. Um, and then I would sing it, and then I would sing all the harmony, and I would send, I would mix it and send it back to people. Wow! And I would charge like a hundred, hundred fifty bucks a song. Right. And but didn't some of them send you just like a lyric sheet or something? Oh and no, they, they would no sing. Idea. They would sing, <laughs> but they would be they would change keys like seven times, <laughs> yeah. change meter all the time. Yeah. So you you didn't know what the feel of the song was. So you had to make sense of it all, and so kind of figure it, into it out, yeah. make right. it into something. And it was <laughs> it was a it was great, but once again, you don't know when you're doing something at the time, what it can lead to later on. Which led to you being a producer. It's exactly yeah. right. And I, I, I give, I mean, I learned so much from doing those mail order demos. Mm-hmm. And um, and that, you know, really sparked my interest in wanting to produce other people. And yeah. people started hearing stuff I did, would hear stuff I did and say, hey, would you mind producing something on me? And I did a, a lot of them for free. Yeah. And, um, and then that, from that, turned into you know i started making a pretty good living you know producing yeah. and, as well and and when you really boil it down and you think about it producing a record is almost like putting a band together you literally have to put a band together every time every you time. have a session yeah yeah and so, I, I like to yeah. say i do when i produce in a session i cast almost yeah, like a right. movie director would cast their you know this person's going to play this character this person would be great for this character i, I yeah. feel like i mean musicians like you're one of the best drummers I know, oh, and you. and but you have you have, a, say that. you have you have a lane. No, he didn't pay me to say that. <laughs> uh, you have a lane, yeah. right? Like like you really excel here. Um, but um, there there are other drummers that have different styles, techniques that yeah. they excel in. Right. That isn't in your lane, and so and the same thing with guitar players and piano players. We all have like I'm not uh, as a piano player. I mean. I think I'm okay, and and when it comes to something melodic, a hooky melody that I'll play on a piano, that's right. my thing. Like ballads and things, right. I'm you know those cool chords that sound interesting and and move you. That's what I'm better at. Yeah. But like I'm not gonna do Jerry Lee Lewis style solos. Fast solos that, and that's, that's not me. And um and so each that's Jimmy Nichols, right? That Jimmy Nichols can do <laughs> anything. Totally. He's actually one of the guys that can do everything. But, um, you know, so I, I like to cast players based off of the person that I'm producing and the sound that we're going for. And so I, I learned a lot about that as well. Yeah, yeah. So when it came time to put Lone Star together, you and Richie had met at like a Opryland auditions and yep. all that stuff. And I'm mm-hmm. sure some people have probably heard the story about how that all started. But, but what's interesting is in the beginning, uh, you sort of knew everybody. You sort of knew Michael and you knew... Michael Tuck, Mike Tucker. Yeah, you knew a few people, and but Richie really was kind of reluctant, wasn't he, in the beginning about like, well, eh, yeah. you know, really, and well, you had to I, kind of coax him into it. A bit. I had met Richie, like you said, auditioning for Opryland. It was an open call. Um, 
and it was at University of Texas Arlington and you could sit out in the auditorium and watch other people come across the stage and audition and I heard him audition I just happened to run into him in the restroom and you know us guys will yeah even though we're using the so restroom we'll still, hey Zoe, what's going on the Cowboys so I, <laughs> I noticed him and I said hey man uh, I heard your audition you're a great singer good luck to you and I said I'm Dean he said I'm Richie nice to meet you and that was really the it the end of it as it turned out I made it he didn't right and so I moved to Nashville and uh, like I said, I was married and moved there and was working in the show. Opryland was one of my gigs. And um, and then Richie moved there like a year later. And he, him and his now wife came out to uh, Opryland and saw me in the show. He had somebody had me come out. And he goes, hey, remember me? And I was we talked about it for a second. I said, oh, yeah, I remember saw you. Saw you in the restroom. <laughs> yeah, and so we talked about that. And um, and so we started talking about let's get together and write and whatever. So um, he had a boat at the time. Yeah. And we would supposed to get on his boat and write songs but typically we just ended up skiing and riding around on the lake on in his boat we didn't write many songs yeah and um and then i decided you know it came very evident to me that i wasn't good enough singer to get a record deal but i wasn't going to let that beat me you know because i'd moved to town to get a record deal and um so i richie was a great singer and i said hey man um i'm putting a band together you know you want to be part of it and he's like i don't know said you know i've been in a lot of bands they're a hassle they're a headache and i said dude if you'll do it literally i'll take care of everything and he said what do you mean i said like i'll book us i'll find the other players i said when we're on the road i'll find hotels for us to stay in i said i'll do your taxes at the end of the year you know i'll just send you a 1099 i'll just all you got to do is show up and sing and after a lot of coaxing um he finally said okay and um and then uh, John Rich, uh, a lot of people don't remember, he was part of this band. Uh, I had met John. John was working at Opryland, and, uh, but he was in the blue cast, which is kind of like the summer cast. I was in the right. year-round cast. He was in the summer cast. But I had seen him. They had a talent contest for people that worked at Opryland, and I right. went to it just to watch. And um, he was playing bass guitar and singing high harmony for a guy who was singing a song. John was terrible on the bass. Right. Terrible. But... When I put Lone Star together, I wanted to have a strong vocal group like an Alabama or something like the that. The Eagles or something like that. Yeah, so I, I figured Richie could sing lead, John could sing high harmony, I'll sing low, and there so we you go. cast it in kinda a way. Kind of cast it in of, a way. Yeah. That's exactly right. Uh, and um, and then uh, I grabbed Mike Tucker, who was our first drummer, because I knew him. He was in town. I knew he wasn't doing Canyon anymore. Right. And, uh, and I'd been in a lot of terrible bands back in Texas with him. And uh, so I grabbed him, and he said, do you need a guitar player? And I said, yeah. And he goes, hey, man, uh, Michael Britt, you know, who was with me in Canyon, he goes, uh, he's delivering pizzas. And I was like, well, I'll go talk to him. And so I literally um, talked to him on the phone. I told him I'd bring him a tape, so I had to meet him at a pizza hut where he's delivering pizzas. And I walked in, and this I still to this day have this visual in my head because um, Michael back then had hair about – halfway down his back he had yeah, yeah. really long, long curly long. hair you yeah know. the mullet thing going mullet on, right? thing right. in a big way <laughs> like uh and uh so i walk in and i said hi i'm here to see michael brick because i was bringing him a cassette tape of uh and you kids that are listening to this yeah. that are young don't know what a cassette tape is yeah. look it up a little square with the holes in the middle holes in it and kind of <laughs> uh but i brought him a cassette of all the uh of 40 songs that we were going to learn to to for this show for this band and uh, and I walked out and I said, "Hey, I'm here to see Michael Britton." He goes, 
I'm Michael. And I said, no, he has really long hair because he had a hat on. And, and at Pizza Hut, they made him keep his hat up, all of his hair up in his hat. Right. And so he took the hat off and kind of like a like a Fabio like a hair slow commercial, moment. slow motion moment where he's <laughs> slinging his hair back and forth and his hair comes I'm out. Michael. I said, oh, so you are you Michael. Michael. You are Michael. And, uh, and, but, yeah, Michael became the guitar player. And and then uh, there was another guy that I worked with at Opryland. His name's Greg Rolls. And he was going to play steel guitar, but he, he could also play electric guitar. And so that literally was the band. Wow. And, and we did a, a little showcase. We worked on these songs, and then I put together a showcase for some booking agents to try to get us some work to get right. started. And you guys, uh, from, from what I remember, you said you couldn't find a rehearsal space, so you went to the union, and w- yeah. which would let you, you're all union members free. or whatever. Yeah. They would let you rehearse there for free. Yeah. And it was it was great because, you know, we like I said, we couldn't afford to pay attention, let alone yeah. for a rehearsal space. It's and hard to put a band together. It, it really is. is. There's so money. You've got to have a PA. And then it's cases. like, after you do all that work, then what do you do? How do you, I mean, after you put the songs together and, and get, it's like, now what? Yeah. But, yeah, the union was great. We got to rehearse in there, and it's so funny because... You'll think it's funny now, particularly uh, as great of friends as we are and as well as you know me, because uh, I'm like the, I'm always pushing, yeah. you know, I'm the guy, I'm that pain in the neck. And uh, I remember we were in rehearsing, we only had a limited number of hours in the rehearsal space because other people get to use it. You yeah. sign out for blocks of time. And we were leaving uh, that night. Um, we I, I booked us uh, five, five nights in St. Louis, Missouri. Wow. And... Um, and everybody, everybody was goofing off and just doing other stuff. And finally, I got the mic and said, y'all, stop. Stop it. And, and they all looked at me, and I said, we have 40 songs that we have to know by the end of today. <laughs> so let's get it together. You know, I was yeah, kind of right. that pain. You're the cracking the whip. Cracking the whip. And uh, But it turned out, I mean, that, that trip uh, was really the beginning of... Uh, uh, I didn't even mention this part, Keach. So when I first put the band together... Originally, um, I worked with another guy at Opryland. His name Ken Mellons, mm-hmm. which you know very well. Yeah. Um, and uh, Ken and I were great friends. He got a record deal on Sony, and he wanted me to be his band leader. So really, I kind of put Lone Star together to be Ken's backup band. Oh, that's right. Okay. And um, and then uh, we that first run that we did together, which was. Five nights in St. Louis, Missouri, St. Charles, Missouri. Then we went, drove all the way across country in my two-door Jeep, pulling a U-Haul. Went to Reno, Nevada. We were there for two weeks. Went to Vancouver, Canada for a week. Across to Calgary, Canada for uh, a week. Now, at that time, how were the songs coming along? Were they like, I know that when you rehearse, that's one thing. But when you get up on stage and play in front of people, that's kind of a whole other vibe, you know. Did, Did things, was it slow or did things kind of click? Well, the good news was... We got a lot of practice because it was five sets a night, right. every night. And we were doing five nights a week, five sets. So we got really good at those 40 songs. And yeah. then, like, uh, in, in St. Charles, Missouri, that club, they did these things. It was really big at the time called barn dances. Okay, right. So barn dances, they want the song to go really long. Right, like so, a dance version of something. Yeah. Like, yeah, right. I remember that. Like, they wanted, like, eight, ten-minute versions of songs. So I, I never will forget, we used to do, the uh, Kentucky Headhunters had a song called Dumas Walker. Dumas Walker, I remember it. And and we did the longest version of Dumas Walker, so John sang that one. Yeah. Because we took turns singing lead on it. Richie would sing some songs, John sang, I sang, Michael sang, uh, even Tucker, Mike Tucker would sing some of the rock things. And 
playing drums, he would do that. And uh, but John sang Dumas Walker, and we were just deliriously over this song because we had to do this longest version. So John started singing in ebonics and oh, I mean, just doing all these weird. He wasn't even singing words. You could almost lump in Boot Scoot and Boogie with that song, and they would never even know it. It was a different song because it's the same groove, the same groove. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. But we got really good at those forty songs, and then we started writing some songs about that time about when we got in reno and there was a program director um tom jordan who we're all still friends with today yeah um they would just come out to this casino bar that we were playing in and and him and his whole staff and they just loved us and so we were already booked to play five sets every night um there and he said, hey, we've got the fair going on. Um, we have a stage. Do y'all want to play during the day? And we were, when I say poor, I mean poor. Yeah. And he says, we can put y'all on that stage during the day if y'all want to do that. So we would literally load up all of our stuff, put it in our little U-Haul trailer, go over to the fairgrounds, set everything up. We didn't have texts or anything. We right. set everything up. We'd play five sets at the fair, Golly. tear down. Then they, had a, uh, they would have a big act at the arena like Ronnie Millsap was one right, of the acts uh-huh. we got to open for. We drove over to the arena, set up again, did a 30-minute opening set, tore down, went over to the casino, set up, played five sets a night. We did that our entire time that we were in Reno. Wow. And then we – so we got a lot of practice in, but Tom and them with the radio station, they loved us so much. We had a song, um, which obviously you know, but um, the people listening might not, called When Cowboys Didn't Dance. It was an yeah. original and we had that, and we had uh, What Makes Mary Go Round, and I uh, one, Didn't yeah. Mean a Thing. And They were all on a demo that you guys recorded. A little demo yeah. we recorded. And these original songs we were doing, and and they loved them. They said, man, I love y'all's originals. And so it was while we were in Reno that um, I called Ken. We had made the decision we were going to try to make it as a band and get a record deal. And um, Mike Tucker, which really is important to how we ended up getting to you, right? Mike Tucker was so mad that... He wanted to be on a major label artist like Ken, who just signed with Sony and be on a bus and stuff. And he's like, I can't believe I'm not doing, I don't want to be part of this thing, you know. Bar band, I don't want to be a bar band. band. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and I said, well, I'll call Ken and tell him that you still want to be in his band and we'll look for another drummer when we get back from this run. Wow. And we went, uh, we had a guy named um, Duke Kevorkian. Uh, and no relation to the doctor, Kevorkian. <laughs> um, but he was our drummer for a little while. That didn't work out. And then we had a Bob, and his last name is jumping out of my brain. But uh, had him. and um, Just wasn't a right fit. Just wasn't a right yeah. fit, no. And, um, and so literally um, six months before we uh, got our record deal, um, you were thrown into the mix and you you came to town and mm-hmm. did that audition got all your equipment stolen your film equipment <laughs> yeah. stolen out of your truck and but that was you know when it, it was almost instant like the first song we played together is like ah that feels right you know yeah. i think it was uh the first time it really felt solid like for us the as missing a link like yeah like, it, like a puzzle piece to fit and yeah. for me on my end of it i remember it being coming to Nashville and Michael saying, yeah, we really need a drummer. If you think, if you think you might want to move to Nashville, as I was still living in Dallas at the time, uh, we're looking for a drummer and we think you would be the guy and all that. And, um, so I remember driving up there with my drums and thinking like, 
do I really want to do this? You know, I moved to Nashville because I could have with Canyon and I didn't want to. And I thought, okay, well, I'll just see what they got going on. Because I, I figured, well, if Michael's in it, it must be good. And I'd heard good things about you guys. And so got up there, and the first time that I heard that four-part harmony, mm-hmm. which is just all four of you and then me not singing, but the four-part harmony was amazing. I mean, it was just like, God, I think it was Best of My Love. Oh, yeah. It was when yeah. the first time I heard, we might have jammed on some other stuff, but the first time I heard that really good harmony was the Best of My Love from the Eagles. And mm-hmm. I thought, wow, these guys are amazing. Maybe maybe this this might be something, you know? So I thought, well, this is worth, and I remember feeling like, like you said, it's a good it feels good, you know. It's a good feel. Why would you not want to be part of this? So, right. Yeah, I just feel like magic. Apparently, it worked out. It must have worked out. <laughs> <laughs> Here we are, thirty years later. But yeah, and I have to thank you for letting me in the band. And I remember we had a conversation in the beginning because there was some management people saying, "Don't make your drummer a part of oh, the." Yeah the infrastructure of the band like ownership of the band mm-hmm. don't give them any ownership because mm-hmm. they're just going to move on and blah 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 and you guys sort of saying well we think he's the guy and we like him and you know we, we want to be like a band thing and they said okay and so we had a conversation that when we first started um and i said well if i move to nashville and i'd be a part of this and move and do all this stuff you know from my experiences in canyon which i wasn't a member i was a member on the album covers but not ownership i said i would want to be ownership of the mm-hmm. band you said well um how about we wait six months and if everything's good you're happy with us we're we're happy with you everything works out and mm-hmm. we're all happy then you can be a part of the band so mm-hmm. waited about six months started just before we got a record deal and they said okay yep you're, and i said are we good and you said we're good so we're, that. we're all we've been we've been not only business partners but friends ever since. That's right, family. Yeah. We're like family. family. Absolutely. That's right. No doubt. So, so man, it's been a good time. What would you say uh, to some young people that are trying to put a band together that are you know thinking about it because nowadays it's tough with there really you know there really aren't a lot of record deals out there to be had a few maybe but mm-hmm. um, it's all streaming and it's all like things like that. What things we've learned? What would you say? is uh, some really important skills or things that you need to know now to put a band together well the first thing i would throw sort of out like what is, would you do different now if you were putting lone star together you know that you've learned well before i even throw that out, i want to say the first thing you need to decide before you put a band together or really pursue music is would you do it for free right do you love it that much and um and are you willing to work harder than anybody else? Because there is so much talent. And I, I, I think that the people that make it over the people that don't doesn't necessarily reflect on who's more talented. Right. Certain people just work harder than others. Right. You know, so if you have the talent and you're willing to work hard, you're probably going to be successful. But make sure that you would do it for free, first of all, because like us you know our sound checks you know we did a sound check yeah. today i mean we don't have to play six songs in a sound check we really right. just could do one and we're fine but we love playing together we love that camaraderie we love that time together yeah. and 90 minutes on stage every night really isn't enough that's why i think we spend more time at sound check because we love playing together yeah so first i would say know that you would do it for free but with the hope that you can take it beyond and it can become your living. Second of all, I would say get with people that that you really like. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, they have to have talent and all that stuff, but make sure you really like them. Like you would trade in maybe a little bit of amazing talent for a good hang, somebody that Absolutely. isn't like the you know they're not like Gino Vanelli, but they're a good hang. They've got a good attitude, yes. and they can do the job diligently, and, and they'll do know? it well. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, I'm not putting myself down. I mean, I'm I'm an okay piano player. There are a lot of piano players that are way better than me, but like I bring other things to the table. You know, like drive and work ethic, and I'll book. And you know, back then I would book and I would do all the extra things. And um, I'm a people person. You know, um, I, I think that is important. So if you can find people that you really like to be around, yeah. because this is not like a marriage, it is a marriage. Yeah. I mean, we win or we lose together. And if one person, you know, you can have like, it's kind of like a cook. They can have, you know, they can have the freshest vegetables and the this and the greatest, you know, piece of meat for their recipe or whatever they can have all these great things but you know what if somebody comes up and spits in your food or if they put you know something soap in there soap in there it's terrible one ingredient can ruin the whole thing and and i feel like um we have you know we've gone through our growing pains i mean uh i'm sure in your other podcasts you've probably talked about you know things that's gone on in this band i mean we've changed some people here and there some you know richie left and we brought in another guy and then rich came back and then he's gone again we brought in drew and, and there's just something like how we are now with drew i mean you me and michael have always been solid always yeah. and um so you, if you have that that one other piece that that great talent but fits like as a, a person somebody you like to hang with you can go far yeah, and so you just have to do that, and and also I would say uh, make sure that there's a clear, definitive line on who's going to do what in the band. Right, that's not, very important. Not yeah. just, I mean, everybody knows if you're the drummer, you're playing drums. If you're the keyboard player, you're playing keyboard, guitar, whatever. Everybody knows that. But if there are other duties, like I mean, you outside of being our drummer, you've brought a lot to the table. I mean, you're a great videographer, and you've done a lot of behind the scenes and you've done actual music videos for us and you bring other stuff to us michael he's uh, outside of being an amazing guitar player he's like the tone guy for so many big guitar players rock country it doesn't matter they come to him because he's got this thing with his kemper and he's such a, a great musician and tone guy so for us like i have to play electric guitar in a few of our songs but he he oversees that he He, creates my sound for me to play and he helps drew with his sounds and and we all have our our thing that we bring outside of our one thing that we do with the band and so have very defined lines of who's going to do what and 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 just know how to communicate and that's the last thing is communicate because if you're a hothead and and you when you don't get something your way, if you're screaming and yelling and whatever, that's going to divide the band. I mean, I think me, you, and Michael in particular have always been really good. We don't always agree, but we disagree with respect. And that's that's a, a skill that, that every up-and-coming musician could learn, how to disagree respectfully right? And, and, and communicate. And if you can do those things you can find success and sometimes you have to compromise a little bit like you have a headstrong way of the way you see that and then by listening to your bandmate 
and trying to understand their perspective, you gain a new perspective and you're like, okay, maybe, you know, so like I always notice Michael, Michael's always a big sort of big picture guy. Like he stands back and looks at, you don't really have to do that. It could be this or like a lot of times even drum parts. He'll say, why do you have to do that? Why couldn't you just do this or just not play right there or whatever, right. you know? Mm -hmm. And then it kind of just opens up your mind and they're like, yeah, you're right. You're right. That what I was doing before isn't the thing. Maybe this is the thing, you know? So yeah, we, it's it, definitely help each other out and that's i i think back like when um you know we we've done records together so like i've produced our last i can't believe i've, I've pr produced our last five records five or six yeah yeah, yeah maybe wow. six yeah. but um but we do it as a team yeah but i'm just kind of like the overseer of everything but uh you were talking about like talking about parts and stuff like this like you are such a great drummer you can do anything so sometimes the simplest thing might be boring to you right but if bringing it out and and like a part where you're playing and it's very simple but it's so solid and it allows space for other things to happen that inherently what will happen is and this is what i've learned in my producing stuff is the smallest things sometimes get noticed the most. Right. So, because there are songs that that I've been a part of producing where we'll get you to play something more simple, way way below your capability because you can do so much. But people go, God, that drum track is so solid. Yeah. It and serves so the song more. You, yeah. It serves yeah. the song more, and, and it makes you stand out more. And it's just like me. I don't do any flashy piano things, but if I do like a a pretty melody thing like if you'll notice on our new 10 to 1 record like on on uh smile i do this thing it's like bottom bum and i just did it on the piano first well then michael heard it and so he started playing the exact same with me so with the piano and the guitar playing that same melody line together it's great yeah. and so we we play off of each other and that's what bands I, that's the beauty of a band to me yeah. and and the last thing i'll say about a band over a solo artist or whether i'm so proud to be in this band and to be part of this thing because when when we're at our lowest we have each other to pick us up and yeah. when we're at our height you have somebody to celebrate with yeah to share it with yeah, to right. share it with sure. and it's so because i hear so many stories about solo artists and and they you know that go off the rails and stuff because it's a lonely it can be a lonely life yeah but for us i mean we've failed and we've succeeded together and not because of any one of us but because of all of us yeah and that is the greatest thing about a band to me yeah. such a great feeling to to be in just for inspiration for young people that might be thinking about being in a band or put it there's a feeling about being a part like that recipe being a part of the recipe and just doing what you do and you let them do what they do and i always one thing i've learned over the years about being a drummer is being a to listen is i in there when like when i was in canyon and stuff like that i was just learning how to be in a band and i played and i sort of overplayed and everybody loved it it was like wow he's such a great drummer but i didn't listen like i sh like i do now you mm -hmm. know i listen different now yeah. when i play i'm listening to what michael does and what you do and like you'll play a lick and I'll let 
we just kind of blend together. You know, mm-hmm. it's like being part of a. Um, it's like we're. I don't know. This is going to sound real hippie, but it's like a tree, and I'm this branch, and you're that branch, and <laughs> you're that part of it. You know, yeah. it's just feeling like you're part of something. Yeah. What well, yeah. I, I can't. What's the song? I always do this high thing, and then you'll go with me on it. You'll start yeah, going right. on your ride. Yeah. You know. It's, but, oh, I think it's on what about now? Where you go, dung, 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 and I go, ding, ding, ding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's all, yeah. but it, but that's but yeah. that's what it is. It's you listening to what I do, and me listening to what yeah. you. You know, it's that's uh. So I mean, it's been. It's been a, a brilliant ride so far, and I still enjoying it. I, listen, I mean, you know me so well, right? Yeah. But there is outside of my kids, there is nothing greater in my life than than the the times we've had as a band and the times we have to look forward to in the future. There's nothing outside of my family, my kids, that compares to this ride that we have been on and will continue to be on yeah. and one thing i love about this band that we've done is we not that we're not the kind of band that have ever gone out and stayed out for like a year and we don't know our families and they've mm-hmm. grown up without us we we've always booked everything we've always made sure that we're around for our families but we also tour yeah but we come back mm-hmm. and we 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 live that d- double life which has worked for and us some, sometimes to our detriment um like we we could have been bigger, we could have you know maybe won a few more awards. But I I, I tell I, I used to go to Belmont University and I was a guest speaker there a lot and and I would I said this a lot and and it made me laugh when I would say it. But it's so true. We've had so much success quietly. Yeah, right. I've heard I you mean, say that before. Yeah. Um, to have ten number ones, twenty two top tens, and sell ten and a half million records. That doesn't happen to everybody. Yeah, and the fact that we walked the red carpet, and, and our biggest songs out ever, "Amazed" and <laughs> "Smile," and number one on the pop charts and number one on the country charts, and they didn't know who we were. Didn't know who we were. Yeah. So we've had a lot of success quietly, but that's because, I mean, when we got home, we were home. We yeah. were home with our family and stuff. I mean, there's always a party that you can go to and schmooze with the right person. This promoter, this radio person, this publisher this whatever and and i think you have to do a little bit of that um and and we didn't do probably enough of it but at the end of the day i'm proud of the the men we are the the dads we are um you know the family people we are and and you know could we have sold a few more records probably could we have had a few more hits probably but I love the fact that we chose to do what we did so we could spend quality time with our families too and be a part of that and still have a great amount of success. I mean, we've built a business and we've decided we're going to do it. I mean, we can tour another 15 years if we want to, and yeah. we will, you know. Until Based on the songs that we even had that's right. in the 90s, late 90s, and early 2000s. That's right. So yeah. we've built that business. We've done that. Yeah. Nobody's done it for us. And... Um, and at the same time, we all have great families, too. So yeah. I, I feel like, uh, unlike a lot of artists, we have the best of both worlds, for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. So I'm going to run down real quick some of your accolades and things that, that that some people may not know. You Not only do you play a bunch of instruments, you know, you play the piano, you play the guitar very well, uh, acoustic and electric. Um, you play the harmonica. You play drums a little bit. You've, uh, you played 
drum You've beat. taught me you a few things over the years. Play drums. <laughs> you can actually get up and play drums. Uh-huh. Um, you could play bass if you wanted to. Um, anything else? Mandolin. Like mandolin. You play yeah. mandolin. Um, and then that's just the musical part. You're a songwriter. Yeah. You write songs. You put the band together. You're a band. You're a businessman. Yeah. You do the LED lighting thing. I know that's you've got a little side business. Commercial LED lighting commercial company. LED. <laughs> you, you're a bus driver. I don't mean just like you drive every once in a while. You have been driving longer than most drivers they that come do out it work for a us. living. I know, yeah. You've been since, what, 95, 95. 95 you yeah. started taking an interest in driving. Mm-hmm. You drove all these years. Then finally... You got your CDL, and you're like a professional. You could, if you wanted to, go off and be a driver because there's a shortage of drivers right now. But yeah. you just are you're our relief driver out on the road. Yeah. Um, you, gosh, what else do you do? You're a producer. Yeah. Producer and also a video yeah. editor. Like and I, you do a bunch of video content for the screens. I do. I have um, uh, my my screenplay that I wrote. Maybe someday. Right. Um, that uh, we're hoping we'll go into production That's here right. very you wrote soon a for a movie and then i'm in the midst of uh and i don't even think you know this yet but um i am uh writing a mini series that um uh is uh it's i've got the first two episodes written uh and basically have it storyboarded through the first season and into the first episode of season one of season two and um, wow. it's it's a co-venture with Robbie, our bass player. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and the same uh, person that I co-wrote maybe someday with. So it's a mini series, and we have we have some serious interests that I can't. I'm not at liberty to say right now, but um, you're going to be hearing about a, a mini series that I'm involved in as well. Cool. Can you say what it's about or what 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 genre? Well, I'll just say it's the the tagline that I'm using for it. It's it's the Sopranos meets Forrest Gump. Okay. Wait. Sopranos meets Forrest. Okay. All right. And I it's think I get it's it. it's based off of uh, Robbie's dad. It's really? a true story based off a true story of his dad's life, and um and so we'll uh, there'll be more to come. But it's 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 uh, I tell you what, it's great. Um, wow. I'll, I'll have to let you read it. Obviously, it'll be off off the record what yeah, you right. read, but it is super great, and um it, it's going to be big. Wow, man. Anything else we don't know about you that? Uh, Mm. That, that we didn't cover here. I can clog. We haven't talked you about can my clog. clogging. You can clog. Yeah, yeah. My whooshing. Clog. Yeah, whoosh. You actually said whoosh yeah. last night. You whoosh. told me. Yeah. You told me to whoosh. Well, the whoosh came from used to when you would clog. Sometimes you did this one move where you do you, your arms in the air and you lift both feet at the same time yeah. and you it's do called this kind wings. Of like, the wings. Yeah. Yeah. And we we I don't know why we called it whoosh because it just looked like you were whoosh whoosh. Because <laughs> I was anyway. a fat guy trying to dance. And as you and get it, older, it's harder to do, right? <laughs> so it's it was like, much harder to do. Yeah. Yeah. So now I look like an, an elephant trying to uh, be graceful. And you do sing, too. You, you actually sing, sing a yeah. song. You have been singing for a long time. And when the band, we, you first put the band together, when yeah. we even when I joined, everybody sang. I didn't yeah. sing, but everybody sang. Sang lead, yeah. Michael sang. Richie sang. John sang. You sang. Now you keep trying to get me to do a, like my own record. You say, man, come on. You, well, you should, should do your you own. You're a producer. You play all the instruments. You sing. I'll play drums on it. You know. Yeah, so record. maybe one day. One yeah. day. Yeah, but... Um, this is great, and uh, people listening to your podcast. I mean, I'm uh, I'm sure you've picked up on it, but Keach, he's so interesting. He has so much to offer, and I'm glad uh, that uh, you asked me to be a part of it. You know, because yeah. I, I, you've interviewed a lot of really cool people. So yeah. now I get to join the cool club. You're on. You're up there with Kim Mitchell and Paul Lime and all those people. Yeah, Very man. cool. Well, thanks for being on here. I appreciate all right. it. All right, man. And uh, so we're gonna go shower now. 
Uh, we got together, a show to obviously, do. Obviously, you know, not together. No. <laughs> not together. No. 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 Uh, we got a show to do, and um, so we're here in Mar- Marietta, Ohio. So signing off from Marietta, Ohio. This is Keith Rainwater and Dean Sams. See you. See you.